Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. One of our favorite people in the whole world is Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. And uh, he has been talking to his voters about all different kinds of things recently, having town halls, and which I know for some politicians, that's a pretty scary thing to do. But um, those are the politicians that generally are not well-liked in their districts, and that does not apply to our good Fred Raja, who joins us now to talk about one of his most recent town halls. How are you, Congressman? Hey, Joan, I'm doing great. How about yourself? And happy President's Day. Happy President's Day to you, too. Um, we obviously both got the day off. <laughs> well, you know what? When you're a radio host, you're always by the microphone. And frankly, being a congressperson, I would imagine, is also a 24-7 job. Is it like, you know, it's like I, the, I've always talked to aldermen and people are calling them up at midnight and on Saturdays at 6 a.m. to talk about things and ask about things and complain about things. Do you get that kind of response from your constituents? You know, they are incredibly respectful, Joan. They, 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 um, when something is urgent, yes, they'll definitely contact me directly, and I, I'm, I welcome that. Um, and I have the best staff in the world, and they jump to attention. And, you know, like, for instance, when uh, I remember even like it was yesterday, um, I guess six years ago, um, around this time, around this weekend, when um, Muslim Ban 1.0 was put in place. And, um, you know, we got a call on a Saturday night that it was happening. We, I was the first uh, member of Congress to arrive at O'Hare and help to free a couple dozen, you know, uh, Muslim green card holders who were banned by Trump. And um, all, all of our staff converged um, on the scene to, to help free them. And so, uh, I, I, I welcome the opportunity to, to help. And, you know, yes, uh, it, it, the, 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 the requests range from pothole needs to be fixed <laughs> in front of my house to we need to withdraw from Afghanistan. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it runs the gamut. And uh, uh, so it's a very interesting job that way. Let's talk about this um, event in Elk Grove Village that you had with uh, Congressman Jonathan Jackson and newly elected Delia Ramirez. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was all about basically protecting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and education. You know, I think that, uh, you know, honestly, um, you've seen all the buzz in Washington with regard to Kevin McCarthy's promises to the Freedom Caucus uh, in exchange for their votes to get him elected speaker on the 15th ballot. And all those side deals that he cut are manifesting themselves in terms of really bad legislation that is coming to the floor. Um, Just to give you a taste of what some of those bills are, there's a bill to ban abortion nationwide. There's a bill to ban the IRS, the payroll tax, uh, to uh, ban estate taxes, uh, and to put in like a a 15% flat tax. And, and now uh, we believe that they are going to usher forward um, legislation that uh, does cut these social safety net programs. And, you know, honestly, they have said, oh, you know, we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. But if you listen to their uh, leaders um, in the past, 
um, it really does um, kind of betray uh, what they're actually going to do. So just as an example, Senator Mike Lee, back in 2010, he said, one thing that you probably haven't heard from a politician, it will be my objective to phase out Social Security, to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. And then uh, another senator that we're familiar with, uh, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, he called Social Security, quote, a legal Ponzi scheme. So that's what their real um, kind of uh, thoughts are on these issues. So, you know, their reassurance is that they're going to they're not going to touch Social Security and Medicare sound as hollow as, uh, you know, George Santos's fake resume, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But I watched the State of the Union address, and when President Biden said, stand up for seniors, let them know this is off the table, and everybody stood and clapped, Raja. Are you saying that they're not going to stand by that agreement that they offered on the night of the State of the Union? I don't think so, and it's not just because they were probably crossing their fingers and toes and, you know... uh, uh, they were they were um, doing other things like that. I think it's because the way that they interpret cutting Social Security and Medicare is somehow consistent with their public profession of support for those programs. So what I mean by that is, for instance, they say in the Republican Study Committee budget, that is the largest House Republican caucus. It has almost 180 members. Okay. This Republican study committee budget endorsed raising the retirement age to 70. They do not believe that that is a cut because it would only apply to future retirees, not to present ones. Um, But for most people out there who are actually looking forward to retirement, maybe they're in their 50s, they're looking forward to, um, you know, basically retiring at 65, that's an absolutely that's absolutely a cut, right? Because that's five mm-hmm. years. Oh yes, it's that you earned that you're not going to be able to enjoy in retirement. You can't count on. And remember, Joan. I mean, people really plan um, way out into the future um, for for their retirement, right? I mean, for most people, they're thinking, okay, I'll retire in X number of years. This mm-hmm. is what I'm going to have. This is what I can count on. Uh, to live this type of lifestyle, X type of lifestyle. So when they pull the rug out and say, oh, well, you know, retirement's going to be 70, that really, you know, upsets people's plans, and it's absolutely a cut. Well, and they're not even providing, you know, the adequate health care. But what if you don't live to 70? I mean, for for heaven's sakes, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's uh, aside from whether or not you want to work till you're 70, a lot of people, uh, you know, that's 60s, 70s, 80s, that's prime uh, chronic illness time. I mean, that's just, Correct. and the other thing that I don't like about what Republicans are doing, and I think that this is also a technique they will use to skirt their promise, is like like this idea that was put forth uh, by, I think, Ron Johnson and Rick Scott, though they had different time periods, that, well, okay, we're not necessarily going to cut it, but let's change the rules so that we have to re authorize it every year or every five years. 
And I mean, that That's to me is, is, is an absolute nightmare. Well, no, 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 we're not going to cut it. But don't you think that maybe five years down the road, we might want to just see the lay of the land and see how it's working? Not that we're going to make any cuts. I mean, that's, that is an absolute, no offense to those of you in Congress, because I know you do a lot of good work. But the idea that this issue would be taken up every year or even every five years is terrifying. <laughs> It, it it is, and I you know I think that even um, Mr. Scott, Senator Scott, is walking away from the notion uh, of somehow uh, sunsetting Social Security and Medicare every five years. I think he said the other day, "I'm going to sunset every law except Social Security, Medicare, military benefits, pension." I mean, he just went down the line on the different things he was not going to be sunsetting, and it just it just um, calls into question, you know, what are they talking about when they say in exchange for raising the debt ceiling, we're going to balance the budget or we're going to require balancing the budget. We don't know what they're talking about. Um, and so they should be very specific at this point. Yeah. And I notice in all of these discussions, nobody is adding, at least that I've heard, please correct me if I'm wrong. Nobody's adding Medicaid to those lists. That's right. Um, again, I go back to this Republican study committee budget, because that's, to me, that has been the most specific of the different proposals that the Republicans have put out there. And this is what they've all kind of campaigned on. The Republican study committee budget would have cut Medicaid by $3.6 trillion over a decade. Um, and just so you know, I mean, your listeners already know this. It covers almost 100 million Americans, uh, more than 40% of all births. Uh, it pays for more than 50% of long-term care, and it covers, you know, almost 7 million people ages 65 and older, uh, not to mention 10 million people with disabilities who rely on Medicaid for their health care who are, you know, uh, um, in a position where they just can't necessarily work. And so this is... Uh, an incredibly important program. And by the way, Medicaid, expanded Medicaid is what provides medic, I'm sorry, Obamacare to so many people in so many states. And so um, you're, you're right. They don't mention Medicaid. There's a reason. And I think it's because it's on the chopping block. Yeah. I don't understand why they... And this, you know, this is something that didn't just happen with Trump. It seems my whole life Republicans have done everything in their power to to destroy the social service safety net that, you know, they want to they want tax cuts because they want the rich to get richer, um, which means generally the poor get poorer. But you know what, Raja, let's face it, if they were as smart as us, they would pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they'd be CEOs, too. Right. <laughs> I just, I think that um, my my observation is uh, a lot of these folks um, have these talking points and these slogans, um, not because they resonate with normal everyday people, but because they may resonate with certain donors and special interests who are very powerful help to fund their campaigns, whether it's a club for growth or some other uh, super PACs. 
And I think um, when the rubber meets the road and they hear from constituents, they hear from their voters, um, then all of a sudden they start dancing and changing their tune. And so uh, what I would say to your listeners, to all the thousands of people who listen to you uh, and who are listening now, is please make your voices heard. Um, And it makes a difference because I think that the more they hear from, you know, everyday people, uh, the harder it is for do what's against their constituents' best interests. That's a good point, and I want to talk about that in greater detail, but we need to take a real quick commercial break. I'm talking to uh, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. We'll be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm talking with Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Uh, recently, he and Congressman Jonathan Jackson and Congresswoman Delia Ramirez and others had a big town hall in Elk Grove Village to talk about how to fight against Republican efforts to cut popular programs, Medicaid, and despite their promises, probably Medicare and Obamacare. You talked, Raja, before we went to break about um, one thing to way to fight this is to make your voice heard. What is the most effective way to do that? I think the most effective way is, you know, I think that you have to activate your friends and family uh, and others who are in the districts of members of Congress or senators who are on the wrong side of these programs. And I think, you know, a concerted effort makes a big difference. This next couple months, the reason why we did this is very simple, which is in these next two to three months, we're going to have pretty serious discussions in Washington, D.C. about raising the debt ceiling, which is absolutely crucial for um, maintaining the full faith and credit of uh, our, our U.S. dollar and for making sure that vendors get paid, Social Security recipients receive their um, checks, and um, that our federal government continues to operate. And so these discussions are going to revolve around, you know, how do we do this in an orderly fashion, Joan, so that we don't go to the brink and huh. the unthinkable happens. And, and so what we need to do is put super high amount of pressure on our colleagues on the other side and say, just raise the debt ceiling. Um, we can always talk about other issues separately, but this is not um, something that should be conditioned. The debt ceiling should not be conditioned on cutting any programs. Um, and so let's make it a clean affair, so to speak. I have a question about that. I um, hear all the pronouncements from Janet Yellen, and she's like, well, you know, I'm going to move money around and take it from one pocket and put it into the other pocket and kind of keep everything functioning. The first date I heard was that she thought she could keep things going till June. Now I'm hearing it might even be July that she can keep things going too. But you talked about brinkmanship. I mean, when Democrats are in power, they usually vote to raise the debt ceiling because they know it's important. Or when, when Republicans are in power, I'm sorry, Democrats support efforts yeah. to raise the debt ceiling. But when right. Democrats are in power, Republicans frequently use the debt ceiling as some kind of bargaining chip. And there seems to be 
every indication that that's going to happen again. I've heard some people predict that um, that will go up whatever the hard and fast date is. Let's just say it's July 1st that the more radical elements of Kevin McCarthy's party will make sure that whatever the deadline is that we cross it, maybe only for 12 hours, maybe for 24 hours before they are coerced into giving in, but just as a show of power to probably mostly to Kevin McCarthy. And the uh, the experts I've read say the most likely scenario is that we will go right up to the edge, we will put a foot over the edge, and then they will pull it all back and vote for it. Is that the likely scenario you see, or do you think realistically there is a shot of getting this squared away before we get to that cliff? I don't know, Joan. I don't know the... I don't know um, exactly what Kevin McCarthy agreed to with some of these holdouts, um, or whether he has even had serious discussions with them about what's going to happen as we get closer to that brink. And as you said, you know, Janet Yellen is doing a masterful job. Uh, kind of, it's kind of akin to, you know, what families do towards the end of the month, you know, prioritizing the groceries and the car payment over the kids' shoes and making sure the rent is paid. Uh, and she's doing that with the money that she has right now to cover the priorities. But at some point, um, she's going to start running out of money, and, and, and there are going to be delays. I think once those delays start to materialize, it's just my gut. I think this is what happened in 2011 when they did the same thing to President Obama. Once those delays started happening, uh, I'm talking about delays and payments to vendors, um, and then the talk about uh, delays and payments to Social Security recipients, that's when the real pressure went up on the Republicans uh, to become reasonable. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that, but I could envision that that's, that's potentially what it might take. My only suggestion is we start putting that pressure now. Uh, as opposed to waiting until the very end. And that requires heightening people's awareness, which is kind of what I'm trying to do along with my colleagues. Okay, but you guys are Democrats. You're not the problem. Um, I think, um, what was first, what was it like to sit there when there was vote after vote after vote <laughs> after vote? In Kevin McCarthy, you know, cuddling up to Marjorie Taylor Greene, posing for selfies, you know, walking over and talking to to Matt Gates. I mean, when when you were sitting there, did you think, oh my God, it is going to be impossible to work with these people? Um, I thought, I thought that this person is putting his personal ambition over the best interests of this country because we don't know the the deals that he was cutting with these people. And obviously with Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of the deals he cut was restoring her committee assignments. I'm on the oversight committee, Joan. So is Marjorie Taylor Greene now. And every time she talks, it's an insult. It's belligerent. It's hostility. It's, um, it's exactly the type of stuff that you don't want to see happen in any committee let alone the oversight committee. Um, 
I, I also think that, um, you know, he is playing with fire um, when he shows them how much clout they have, that they can, you know, um, kind of take him as far as they did. And I think it emboldens them to do more. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens as, as we go down the road here uh, towards the debt ceiling. But um, it is, uh, it is, it is very disturbing to say the least. By the way, I was, I don't know if I told you this before, but I was almost in the middle of that uh, uh, fisticuffs between Mike Rogers um, of Alabama and Matt Gates. I was standing right there when he uh, was about to lunge at Matt Gates. I couldn't believe um, I was almost at fight night, which is a an oh my god issue altogether. That's amazing. And what was going? What was going through your mind? I mean. I, 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 I was stunned. My jaw was on the was on the ground. I, um, it was the strangest thing I have ever seen. Um, not only did Mike Rogers come out and and you know he said something like Matt Gates, you're going to pay for this as he was storming past me to get to Matt Gates. Um, uh, at that moment, or shortly thereafter. Um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I discovered, was standing next to me or very close. And she whipped out her phone and she said to uh, another one of the holdouts, um, the Freedom Caucus holdout, she said, uh, uh, President Trump wants to speak with you. And he said, don't you dare you know, bring that phone by me. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm I'm watching this. This is the nuttiest thing ever. Um, and God help us. You were probably too young to remember the days of Chicago City Council when every day was like performance art. Dick Mel jumping up on top of a desk, banging with his shoe to get the attention of the City Council. I mean, it was it was like must watch TV every day. And, you know, I thought, yes, that was a crazy, tumultuous time in our past. We'll never see those crazy days again. And not only are we seeing them again, but good God, we're seeing them in Washington. We're seeing them on Capitol Hill. I mean, you said you sit on a committee with Marjorie Taylor Greene. When it comes time to vote on the debt ceiling, what do you think she will do? Because on the one hand, she's crazy. But on the other hand, she's trying to be Kevin McCarthy's best friend in the whole world. So how do you think somebody like that will vote? I I don't see her doing the right thing. Um, I, I Honestly, I don't know what McCarthy will do. I think um, he will. Do you will think he'll still be speaker in July? Um, so here's the thing, which is I'm not sure. I'm not sure who would be the alternative to him right now. And I, uh, I'm not sure if he'll be speaker in July, but um, what I'm hoping, and I, I know this might sound naive, is you know, I'm hoping that we can walk him back uh, from the brink of cutting any other deals with, uh, with the Freedom Caucus holdouts because you know, for the good of our country, we've got to avoid you know, doing this bad stuff. And by the way, Joan, I mean, that's not the end. Um, you know, there's the 
There's the debt ceiling, but then we have the end of the year spending uh, bills, appropriations bills that we have to um, approve as well. And, um, you know, there's other things like reauthorizing the FAA, uh, the farm bill, which has SNAP benefits, which, by the way, my family relied upon for a time. So I know the I know you and your listeners know the importance of it as well. And um, and so we just have to do some basic stuff and avoid doing other bad stuff uh, and get out of this Congress and, and then get back to a, a Democratic majority. Raja, I know that stuff that you just mentioned sounds important, but don't you think your effort is better spent investigating the weaponization of the government, you know, like Jim Jordan is doing? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I, uh, this is going to be uh, another interesting committee, and uh, let's just see. We have some capable people on there who can spar with them, but, you know, it's too bad that we have to spend time doing that. Um, when there's so many other challenges that we face and uh, we should work on together. Uh, in that spirit, if, if you don't mind, I'd I just like to also um, uh, extend my uh, thoughts uh, about Jimmy Carter. Uh, he's probably a hero to all of us on President's Day. Um, you know, he entered hospice care, uh, as, as many of your listeners know, and uh, he's spending his remaining time at home. And um, I think on, on, on President's Day today, I think we should remember his selfless sacrifice, public service, and, you know, his, his humanitarian work, his tireless work around the world. Um, that's, to me, what a real um, classy uh, person does uh, and a true patriot. Yes, um, and one of the silver linings, I think, of going into hospice care at home so publicly is that he can see how loved he is and how appreciated he is. And he is uh, hopefully still in a position to take all that in because I think the outpouring has been really extraordinary. And uh, uh, thank you for mentioning that as we as we wrap this up. I really uh, appreciate it. Uh, Well, good luck. You know, I think you're going to have... It's going to be like Dickens, the best of times and the worst of times coming up in the U.S. Congress. Raja Krishnamurthy will be here periodically to tell us uh, whether or not the inmates are running the asylum. And, you know, we our good thoughts go with you. Thank you, Joan. Please send more of them. And please, please, everybody speak out uh, and speak up and speak loudly about these programs. Social Security. Medicare, Medicaid, education, um, and, and all these other vital programs that help keep our, uh, keep our people safe and secure. And um, it's really important now. Thank you so much, Congressman Krishnamurti.